Hello, my terrible listeners. Scott's feeling under the weather this week, so we're pulling a show out of the vaults. That's right. This week, we've got a conversation with my big sister, Lauren, in our original terrible studio all the way back in 2021. That's right. It's a pandemic episode we recorded in my garage with all the doors open and we were appropriately socially distanced. Enjoy. You're tuned in to Positively Terrible. I'm producer Dan, and each week my buddy Scott and I discuss surviving and thriving after trauma. It's a journey that started when Scott, his wife's fiance, and her boyfriend walked into a bar. Settle in, my terrible listeners. Today's episode is going to be Positively Terrible. Lauren, welcome to the Terrible Studio. This is my buddy Scott. Have hey, you guys Scott. ever met? No, I don't think so. I do not believe so. Nice, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Lauren. Thank you. Man, it's been a long week. How's your week been? Um, really busy. Yeah? Yeah, having Monday off makes the rest of the week feel really busy. Work busy? Family busy? Yes. Fair enough. <laughs> Scott, how's your week been? My week's been good. My, my, my week's been good. And, and Lauren, you probably haven't listened to any episodes yet. Um, I have, actually. Oh, you have? Uh-huh. Oh, you shared? I did. Uh-oh, does she know about me? A um, little bit, yeah. Okay. A little bit. Okay. All right. So. My week has been pretty good. I, I I've went to a concert on Thursday, Rodrigo E. Gabriela. The Chicago Theater it was pretty awesome. I bet it sounded awesome in there. Oh, God. It was amazing. I kind of wish that I didn't drink at that concert, just so I would have been more present. <laughs> um, but that's all right. I had fun. Good. And, you know, kind of continued my journey. Um, went on a date or two, I think. I can't even remember at this point. Um, and been thinking about what I need in, in, in my life. And kind of to continue on some stuff we've talked in the past about, Dan, the, the me just doing things. Yeah. And I'm making lists about the things that I want to do and should do. And Lauren, one of the things in my story, in my, my past, is, you know, re- really recently kind of realized that I'm, I, I wasn't, you know, so much of an introvert or a homebody as I was exhausted. And... Mm-hmm. You know, I was in a what what I've come to the conclusion of was a, an, an abusive marriage, mm-hmm. and for years I was just waiting for my wife, waiting to do this or waiting to do that, and I I've, I've had things that I want to do. And Dan and I talked one time about wanting to go to this restaurant called Crisp, and I told him the story about hearing about it and how that was like eight years ago that I heard that story or heard about the restaurant. And Dan's like, "Yeah, my wife and I went the very next week because he was there." probably the same day <laughs> for the same conversation and i haven't been so uh making my lists uh, of things that i'm going to do and this weekend i went i went up to devon and had some indian food i've, I've never mm-hmm. done that. it's beautiful up there man i love driving through the area there's just so much there and i've never just stopped my car and gone in and, and eaten at a restaurant good food over there mm-hmm. oh it was amazing pretty cheap the one i went to too i'm not going to try to pronounce the name but we can we can put a link on a website later please Lauren, have you ever been to Crisp? No. It's really good. It's Chinese, chi- uh, yeah, Chinese chicken wings. Oh, Kore- yeah. Korean. Are they Korean? Korean. Asian yep. chicken wings. That yeah. sounds great. <laughs> Very good. So, so I ate in an Indian restaurant, and then today my plan was actually to go to Crisp, but I forgot about this birthday party that uh, we're having. They're having for the ski EO later today. And tomorrow my plan. So the head of Ski Wall League yeah. for all our terrible listeners yeah. that haven't heard episode one. Sure. Um, and then tomorrow I'm, I'm going to get some. 
How do, I, I, I hate pronouncing it, the pho? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. And I've never had it before. I hadn't had it till within a year. Big fan. Big fan. There's okay. a great place here in the neighborhood that is the fastest delivery I've ever had. Okay, is that the one on Lawrence? That Yeah, it's the, like pho number one. Uh, it's got a number in it, for yeah, sure. Super, I'd imagine super it's one. a one. I can't imagine they'd use like a number two or anything. Well, it's good. Well, I guess it might if they're just numbering their locations, but... Anyway, are, are, uh, you, are you an appreciator of the fuzz? Yeah, actually, I live out in the suburbs, and we have a very great fuzz place really close oh. to us too. Okay. And on cold days when I need a little comfort food, yeah. that's definitely top on my list. Okay. Well, I've never had it. I I was scolded, and I've got a friend uh, who who's really more of an online friend that that, that I haven't met in person, who's just kind of challenging me. Like when I mentioned that I wanted to get fuzz this weekend, I was like. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like kind of a pain in, not a pain in my ass, but I didn't feel like leaving my house last night. Um, for whatever reason, I didn't want to order delivery. And this friend was just like, this sounds like the old Scott. You know, it sounds like you're making excuses here. And so I texted a friend uh, who is Laotian, who I, you know, there's pho in their culture as well, and asked her for recommendations, and she gave me three different places, and they're all in in Rogers Park in this little area that, you know, has a large Southeast Asian culture. And I was like, that sounds like too congested and too far away for today. Um, So I'm like, I'm going to do that. On Sunday, and then I ended up going to Devon anyway, uh, up to get Indian food. So I basically did the same thing as if I had gone to one of these pho restaurants. You just went on a food adventure. I, well, I'm, I'm calling this my, my food adventure weekend. Oh, good. Scott's food adventure weekend. And then I had an idea today. So I was making a playlist and uh, a, a, essentially a mixtape um, on Spotify because one of the things, and I think producer Dan, I might have told you uh, in, in recent weeks, it's like one of the biggest pains of my marriage ending is not having someone who cares about music. That, that I'll send songs. That was one of our things. Like Our marriage wasn't necessarily good, uh, as you might figure out, but she cared when I sent music. and she <laughs> not, not just cared, she fucking listened to it. And it's hard to get people to listen to a song when you send it to them. And my tastes... You know, they fall somewhat outside of the mainstream, I guess. There, there, there are a lot of bands that nobody's heard of. So especially when it's a band nobody's heard of, they're not going to listen to your songs. And if they do, they're probably going to listen to 10 seconds and turn it off. So someone asked me, was asking me for, for songs, and I'm like, I'm just going to make a mixtape. <laughs> All right. And so I did that, and uh, it, it was for the same person challenging me to get out and do shit and... Was it was this an internet lady friend? Uh, it it is an internet lady friend, and it's going to stay internet lady friend. All right, it, it's nothing. It, there's there's nothing there more than she's cool to talk to, and apparently thinks that I'm cool to talk to. Well, you can do a lot on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so as I was doing this today, I came up with a great idea. Well, uh, I, I don't know if this is a great idea. But I thought it was a great idea. Let's hear it is one of the songs that I put on this is is by a band called Gallows Bound. They are from uh, West Virginia. and I've been there. Nice place. Okay, good, good. It's a state. It is. And it's one of two Virginias, too. But The more western of the two, in <laughs> fact. 
Well, and, I, and I've seen a bunch of I've seen them a bunch of times. They're they're more of an opening act, um, and still, so they're an opening act to bands that are pretty small that are opening acts for other bands, right? Right. And those bands are very accessible. So I've spoken with Jordan, one of the singers. It's it's a there's a male and a female who share the singing duties, and Jordan, the woman, is a tattoo artist. So I'm going to go to fucking West Virginia and get a tattoo from this woman who sings in a band that I love. I want to go to West Virginia. Can I come with you? That's a fucking great I love idea, West Virginia. It? Well, let's go to West Virginia. Laura, you want to go? Yeah, I was in West Virginia this summer, and I loved it. I would definitely like to go back. West Virginia right. is beautiful. All right. Mm-hmm. No, that that's amazing. I've never been there, and I, I want to go. So the three of us are going. Are you bringing the rest of your family, Dan? Nah. Okay. All right. All right, well, that, this has been a great that podcast. Was, that, that was that was Lauren shaking her head, no. <laughs> I was thinking that now we can wrap up and go book our flights. And right, let's it's do a it. a short episode. Thank you for coming. No. All right. The, the, the so, other, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. If you got something to finish. Oh, this is, I was just going to say something really stupid. So if you've got something to add to this podcast, please do. I was just going to say, well, let me introduce our guest today, because I know we're better than you do. Okay, great. And that will, okay, I'll, I'll play off of that. All right. You can tell we're really good at this, Lauren. <laughs> I think you guys are hey, doing great. Hey, hey, when you listen to it, it actually does come off kind of charming sometimes. <laughs> it does. I really enjoyed the episode I listened to. Good. Right. Um, so, yeah, uh, Lauren is my big sister. Oh, I have known her, one of the very few people that I have known my entire life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in a strange twist of fate, over the last several years, Lauren has become one of my favorite people to be around. Why is that so weird? Because... The first half of my life, that was not the truth. <laughs> and that was a mutual feeling. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, maybe it was the pandemic and our small bubbles, mm-hmm. but we really hung out wow. a pretty fair amount in the last two years. Mm-hmm. And I would say I enjoyed myself quite a bit. All right. Would you I, say that if she was not in the room? Yes. Okay. It, what's really strange about this, and I'm trying to be vulnerable and open up about feelings and shit, <laughs> is that these are words that I don't think uh, I would speak very regularly to my sister, and I'm pretty uncomfortable at the moment. Good. <laughs> I think that um, spending time with you and your family has definitely been a silver lining of the pandemic for us. Yeah. An no. increased, increased um, time with you guys. Definitely has been a pro. Yes. And it's it's time that we really... I mean, we probably hang out almost once a week now, at least. Yeah. Um, certainly the heart of pandemic, we were, we were hanging yes. out at least once a week. We called it forced family fun. Yeah. We sure did. And it was. <laughs> it was fun. All right. And forced. <laughs> All right. Well, I was not having much fun, um, but I'm glad you were. I have not seen my sister enough during the pandemic. I, I adore... Uh, or my brother. He was in Michigan, so it was hard to see him. But my sister lives walking distance from my house, and I adore her fucking children. Um, <laughs> I just wish that I... I it, things have gotten weird in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I will say that, Lauren, I absolutely adore also uh, one of your nieces. Uh-huh. I do, too. Um, she, she, I think she takes the good parts... From her father and her mother. Yes. Um, she she loves introducing me to people. I find it Aww. just like the funniest thing to have this four-year-old. Yeah, she's four and a half. Who insists I meet people. Yes. And yep. she loves Scott. 
Aww. She really does. She's very excited whenever Scott yeah, comes over. I'm pretty disappointed she's not in the studio usually. She's pretty delightful. So, um, one thing I'm going to comment on to our listeners is uh, you've got words on your shirts. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Uh, good vibes. Um, is there a reason for your good vibes shirt? I bought the shirt this morning at Costco. <laughs> well, then I'm glad we're talking about it. When I came home from Costco, um, I was putting some dishes away this morning, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there was a gigantic explosion of glass, <laughs> and it was my large gallon-sized uh, Pyrex sure. measuring cup, mm-hmm. and it um, broke in the cabinet, so there's glass on two shelves in the cabinet on all the dishes in the cabinet what broke it i don't know i was stacking something inside and it's pyrex like it shouldn't break right so it i must have just hit it the wrong way and like glass all over the counter the floor all in my clothes i don't know if you can see i have two cuts on my face thank goodness i had my glasses on um So I was thankful to my family who helped me clean it all up, and I put on my new shirt from Costco, and now I'm feeling the good vibes. You know, you know, that was probably the worst interview question ever asked, but it was a pretty good answer. So I'm, I'm glad that worked out. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so I'm, I'm drawn to shirts with words on them. I've got the one that says "Quit your job." I noticed that. Uh, that was. Um, uh, very influential for debt. Well, no, I wore it in front of you after you quit your last job. Right. Ironically, I now work for Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, and I don't plan on quitting my job anytime soon. Yeah. I, I shouldn't wear the shirt in front of you. <laughs> I, did wear, I did wear it on, on my date last week, the one that I told you was getting high in a dog park. And she quit her job two days later. So I'm kind oh. of scared about the power my shirts have. <laughs> And there was one at Target that said, be kind. And I was just drawn to it, but I can't find it in my size. And I hate that. Mm. So to have the good vibes, I kind of I kind of love that. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like maybe you could bootleg that shirt pretty oh, easily. You know, it could. But there was just something about this one that I was All drawn right. to. Like, I've looked at, there's tons of them online. But but there was just something. Not as good as that one at Target. Just that one, that, like <laughs> the, the font or something. I don't know. You know, font's important, guys. It is. We are, we are currently working with some designers. To uh, to come up with our logo. Oh, nice for for the terrible podcast network and for for positively terrible. So we've been talking a lot about fonts and colors mm-hmm. and things. Mm-hmm. So I was going to start by the way I start with other guests and say how do you know Dan? But he uh, jumped in and, and gave the introduction. Yeah, most of this interview, I'm just going to answer for my big sister. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you remember, uh, what's your first memory of Dan? Like, do you remember meeting him or? I remember going to the hospital to see him. Okay. I don't have any memory of actually seeing a baby. I remember okay. what the room looked like. Like, I wasn't allowed in the hospital room, but there was, you know, some kind of lobby room or something where I was allowed. And I remember that my dad took me to the grocery store to pick out a card, and he bought me a whole pack of stickers, <laughs> and I put all of the stickers on the card. So I don't nice. remember Dan, but I remember some significant okay. events okay. around his birth. So I was three and a half. Okay. Yep. Well, it sounds like it was all downhill from there then until recently. <laughs> the first um, maybe 15 years were a little rough, <laughs> and then I went to college, and things started looking up after we didn't live together. Okay. Yeah, there was like one or two summers that you came home from college that we were just at each other's throats again. Mm-hmm. And it then, wasn't good when we lived together. No. And it's like, now that we don't live together, ever since it's then, it's been, it's been decent. 
And, like, at least decent. And I think since you've had a child, we've been more in the same... Um, yeah, we've had more in common, more stuff to talk about. And more in the same phase of life. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and, and I will say that I remember when my sister texted me to say that I was going to be an uncle. And, you know, I'm not in her phase of life. I don't have children. But I never knew I wanted to be an uncle until I got that text. Uh. And... It was like literally the first moment in my life where I understood, like, it doesn't matter if it's a boy or a girl. I just want this fucking kid to be healthy and yeah. happy. And like my sister always said she'd never have kids. So it was like completely out of the. Oh, blue. that's cool. Yeah. I remember when you had your first kid or, or, or hearing that you were you had your first kid on the way. Uh-huh. And that was very exciting for me. I was in Utah at the time and. I took a picture. I still have that picture. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. And yeah. you were there at the hospital when she was born. I was, yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Hanging out with uh, your husband. Mm-hmm. We had a nice time. It was a little scary for a minute. It was. I was not in the room. I was I was hanging around the hospital. Yep. Well, it, it it's an amazing thing. And what I will say is that my sister and I both lived in Chicago and moved here around the same time and had minimal relationship in our adult lives. Not because we had any, you know negative feelings toward each other. We were young and in the city and having fun, but the moment she told me, it's like our lives changed and we we became close all of a sudden and we had never had, well, we hadn't had that since. We were actually kind of close, I think, in like grade school and high school. She might tell you differently, I'm not sure, but I looked, I did look up to my big sister, so it was like this life-changing and it's, it's I'm just kind of, you know, thankful that, that that I always happened. forget that she's your older sister. I don't know why. I've never met her, so because it doesn't I'm really a matter. One. I, 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 I guess so. <laughs> no. All right. So, so I didn't tell you guys, but I want a new feature where our guests and our producer uh, just get things off their chest at each other. <laughs> 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 kidding, kidding, kidding. But, but I, but I am. I think curi- that's a great idea. I'm ready. I'm ready for this. <laughs> I, I am curious though if there is something that um, you guys haven't like asked each other or talked about that that might be interesting banter right now. Do you have any questions about her and your relationship or, or anything that you'd like to ask? Wow. Yeah, I'm trying to get serious I'll let, here. I'll let you go first, Lauren. I don't have anything yet. Okay. <laughs> I should have warned you in advance, I suppose. But I'm sure I'll think of something good tonight. Right. <laughs> Feel free to leave a voicemail that we can put into it. this show. I was just going to say it. Um, I, I don't think so. I feel like we've been pretty open with each okay. other recently. Right. Like the things, I mean, I think I know everything. I have zero interest in learning anything about your sex life, so I don't want to ask you any questions about that. Thank you. I can't yeah. believe you even just mentioned that. Well, those are... I'm like talk- areas we haven't talked about. Right. That's yeah. one what of them. That's about? good. I'm good with that. Okay. Um, I would love to hear about your first time using drugs, and I don't think that you've ever used Never. drugs. Never. Right. So uh, I had some... Um, painkillers during that first birth that uh-huh. was actually the second one which made me definitely not want to do more drugs okay um yeah other than that we talked about everything else i have any interest in knowing about you okay okay all right yeah what about um nope don't care about that <laughs> all right well my my um feature flopped but maybe maybe as we talk more things will come up or voicemails will be left okay but lauren um 
Dan told me that you are a music therapist. Is that is that the right term? I am a music therapist. Okay. Uh-huh. And, and the, my first question out of, my, out of my mouth was, what's that? And I was like, wait. Wait, don't answer. I've got one coming over. We're going to talk. So yeah. can, can, you, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So music therapists, um, in this country we call them board certified music therapists. We use music to work on goals that are not musical. Okay. Um, so like a music teacher is going to be working on teaching somebody about music. Mm-hmm. Um, a music therapist is going to use music to help somebody with some other goals. Sometimes those are mental health goals. Some music therapists are working on... Um, helping people with their anxiety, depression. Some music therapists are working with people who have uh, physical or neurological rehabilitation issues. A lot of music therapists are working in special education. Um, A lot of music therapists are working in nursing homes. Uh, So there's a wide variety in uh, populations that we're working with. Okay, so so what is is the technique? I mean, um, are you teaching music or playing music or all of the above? Um, Not usually teaching music, but sometimes that might be a technique that we use. Um, I would say most music therapists use as much live music as possible. Mm -hmm. And in our training, we do... um, we get degrees in music therapy, which include uh, music training like a music educator might get. Um, So I think we're using as much live music as possible. Some music therapists do sometimes use recorded music. I sometimes use recorded music, Mm -hmm. um, but I always have my guitar with me. Sometimes I have a piano with me. Um, And the techniques that we're using, I think, vary with who we're working on and what our goals are. Uh, We do a lot of songwriting. We do... um, improvisation we do singing um we do lyric analysis listening to music and talking about uh the lyrics mm-hmm. um a wide variety okay. so if you got all the the talent and intelligence what did dan get it's uh, clearly the looks. Dan, <laughs> Dan definitely got great social skills and much better humor. Okay. I don't know, Everybody kind of loves Dan. That's not true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, but that's inaccurate. Dan's all right. I, I'm. I'm not. I disparage Dan enough. I'm, I'm not going to do that right now. Um, so, how did you end up in music therapy? Uh, so when I was in high school, I was a band geek and played clarinet and was, did all the band things. And, um, I was thinking I would be a marine biologist Mm -hmm. and then I took chemistry class and decided that maybe science wasn't the best route for me. And, um, when I was a junior, my mom read an article about music therapy in Reader's Digest. Mm -hmm. She said, I think you should do that. And that's what I did. I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. And the, I'm sorry, and if, and if I just didn't catch this before, I apologize. That's but okay. like, what, what age range do you work with? So I currently have clients from age four months to 103. Wow. Yes. That may be the largest possible range. Yes. Like, it, it'd be. Probably 99.3% of the population covered in that. Yes. If not more. I would say most music therapists don't have such a wide range. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a private practice, and um, most music therapists specialize in one area of treatment. 
Um, I tend to work with really young kids mm -hmm. or with the elderly. Okay. Um, so there's probably a big gap in there that I don't work with. But I have a lot of young kids and a lot of older adults mm -hmm. with dementia. Can you tell Scott a little bit about your program of working with the two together? Because that was awesome. Yeah, thank you. So um, we created an intergenerational music therapy program in the nursing home where I was working. Um, and we would bring, invite young children and their families from the community. Mm -hmm. And Dan came with his daughter um, to come into the nursing home on Saturday mornings. And uh, we created a program that was really uh, focused on positive interaction between those two generations, okay. the youngest and the oldest. And we planned music activities to promote that interaction. It and was super cool. It was a great time. And like to expose kids to the elderly and like these were old folks or people that needed to be in a nursing home. So it was, um, it was kids or it was, it was folks that could look pretty scary to kids. Mm -hmm. If kids are not used to that. Okay. And I think it was really, really good for my kid. Okay. Uh, and she had a great time. She was awesome. She was interacting with all the uh, all the folks there, all the grand friends, as we call them. And they them. loved her. Um, <laughs> of and course. I think that was their, probably the best part of their weeks, every week. Yeah, I think they all had a good time. And, you know, my kid loved it. She had a great time. Mm -hmm. um, on occasion, some of them would try to, like, demand hugs. Mm -hmm. And I think... My kid's pretty good at being like, nope, I'm not going to do that. Um, Which is it, a wonderful thing. And it's yeah. something that I never really understood and have read a lot about in recent years mm -hmm. um, about children be, being able to set their boundaries. Yep. She's very good at that. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that that's fascinating. And I'm, I'm just now realizing that I'm speaking to a music therapist and started by talking about the biggest pain I have is not having someone to send music to. Yeah. I'm getting, I'm, I'm tearing up a little bit. Maybe uh, you could be a new client yeah. and you can send Lauren some music once a week and you guys can do a lyrical analysis. <laughs> well, well, but it's going to cost you. <laughs> well, one of one, my, 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 my internet friend um, was killing time and asked me for, music and she was stressed and had a tough day and I, I literally cried um, mm. to have someone need what what I needed I mean she needed the other end you know it, it was complimentary to yeah. what, what I needed and it's just so fucking powerful and I told Dan recently, I was like, I'm emo now or, or whatever, because I'm looking at the lyrics of all these songs. And usually I don't pay that much attention to lyrics. So I'm like, that's me. That, that's how my wife was. And yeah. I literally for like a week, there were three songs by one artist that every day I would like have to listen to one of the songs on repeat. <laughs> and, but I'd have to make it through all three of these songs from from this artist because it just spoke to me so much. Yeah, it's so powerful to hear your feelings reflected in yeah. the music and to know that someone else is yeah. feeling something similar. Yeah. So, so why, 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 I mean, why is music so powerful? I mean, there's that, but it's not just lyrics. There's the sounds, there's everything. Yeah. There's, so, that's such a good question. And there's so much, um, I mean, you could get in the whole field of music psychology and, um, why is music, why did we evolve to still 
want to participate in music? What does that do for us? Um, it's a really good question. I, I mean, is it is there community there? Is it shared experiences? Yeah, I think all of those things. And we know um, there's self-expression. Mm -hmm. There's when you um, participate in music together and you experience what we call entrainment, where your bodies, your body rhythms are picking up and matching the music's rhythms and you're sharing that experience with another person. Um, that creates bonding and mm -hmm. social connection. Um, and that's one of the things that we think about um, in evolution, you know, back when our ancestors were doing drumming together and chanting together, that was creating community and um, keeping them together, causing social interaction, causing social bonds. Um, so maybe that's one of the reasons that we have evolved to appreciate it so much because we know it draws us together and we need that. I'd just like to point out that that's exactly what the Insane Clown Posse does. <laughs> yes. We talk about the Insane Clown Posse more than I'd like to admit on this podcast. But they've taken all the misfits and they've given them a place to collaborate and appreciate and enjoy similar Social music connection. And social connection. That's right. Mm -hmm. So my next question, and I apologize as I'm turning off my ringer because Dan doesn't like it when I get uh, messages during this. What an asshole. <laughs> but... If I mean I know social connection and all and the bonding is a huge part, but also why do I love dancing in my living room by myself so much? Um, I'm not sure I have a short answer for that. <laughs> you don't have you don't. Have I to think answer we'd it. have to have a conversation about that. <laughs> we we don't have to answer. Why that. do you think you like dancing? <laughs> Fuck if I know. I don't know. Because I, I usually I've got a drink in my hand. It's when I'm cleaning and have a drink and mm -hmm. and I just, it's a, I can't fucking wait to have someone to clean and have a drink and dance with me. But right now I'm do, having fun doing it by myself. Music make the, makes the cleaning so much better, God, doesn't it, does. it? It really does for yeah. me. It's like the trifecta of having a drink for me mm -hmm. and the music, a little bit of dancing and I guess fourfecta, quad, quadfecta and the cleaning. Um, so you, you mentioned four months old. Um, I find that fascinating, and I don't really know the words that I want to use to ask the question, but, I mean, when do humans start recognizing music or, or feeling music or, or whatever it is? Yeah, I think that you'll, if you talk to pregnant mothers, you'll say that their babies will react to music, um, I don't know, probably five or six months in utero. Really? Yes. Um, I remember when I was pregnant with my first daughter, uh, I was working in a hospital as a music therapist. So mm -hmm. I was playing my guitar all day. Mm -hmm. um, I'd have my guitar up against my belly all day. And uh, she would definitely be asleep while I was playing mm -hmm. and awake when I was not playing. Wow. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, you, you must be passionate about music. Uh, yeah. And I just kind of want to ask, like, what what does what does music mean to you? Um, to me, it is a way to connect with people, and I'm a real social creature. I'm very um, extroverted. Definitely, music as a kid to me was my social connection. 
And um, I would say that still is. That's definitely my favorite part of music therapy, using it to help people connect with each other. What is one of your very favorite songs and why? Oh, that's a really hard question. It doesn't have to be your favorite, just one. Just okay, one of your favorites. What is your favorite insane clown posse song? <laughs> I can't name one insane clown posse I song. I like you better already. I think I'm They're missing all bangers. out. They're I'm all missing bangers. out on I'm pretty sure beard just came out Scott's nose. Uh, <laughs> mostly my mouth, but same same thing at this point. Um, so I'll tell you this week's favorite song. All right. Um, I like that. I've been using the song The Welcome Table, which is an old gospel song. And it says, we're going to sit at the welcome table. We're going to sit at the welcome table. I think that's really all it is in the first verse. And then there are more verses. And um, in my work, we've adapted the verses a lot. Um, and I just learned that song this year. I learned it from um, some of my current favorite performers, who are Dan and Claudia Zanes. Um, Dan Zanes is a fantastic guitar player and folk singer. And his wife, Claudia, happens to be a music therapist and also an amazing uh, singer. They're Real out power in, couple. Yes. They are out in Baltimore. Um, they recently released a record for the Smithsonian. And I think this song is on it, but I learned this song from them for sure. Okay. And um, it's been really meaningful to me during the pandemic. Uh, I know it's an old gospel song and it had different meaning back originally. Um, but during the pandemic, to be able to sing it with other people and say, uh, we're going to sit at the welcome table. We're going to invite all our friends. We're going to cook for all our friends. We're all going to be together. Uh, that seemed that's felt really meaningful to me recently. I can see that. Yeah. Well, that I, seems to be words that you I mean, you embody those. Your house is pretty welcoming. Thank you. I, it's always I really kids run around. That. There's always people invited over for dinner. Uh, I yeah, have, your house is big and welcoming. I have Thank never you. gotten an invite. Is all I'm going to say. You are currently invited <laughs> whenever you want to come, Scott. It is noisy, and there are a lot of kids. It's so noisy. It's so noisy, and um, there is a sign by my front door that says, um, forget the dog, beware of the kids. <laughs> and that's pretty appropriate. Well, what I will say is that there was a time in my life, again, I was exhausted, and mm -hmm. I wanted quiet, and I wanted simple, and I wanted routine, and I purchased a house in Portage Park because it's, it's slow. I mean, for the city. And now I go sit in, like, Logan Square or Rogers Park, and I'm like, fuck, this is where I want to be. <laughs> I, I want the noise. I want the action. And so what I'm saying is I'd probably come if I got an invite. Um, All right. So it, it, as far as music goes, then, uh, well, actually, I, I don't know what I want to ask because I've got multiple questions going through my head. But since you just mentioned a song changing in meaning, um, this might be more of a comment than, than a question, but... The thing that I find so fascinating and, and exciting about music and songs and lyrics is how personal they are mm -hmm. and personal because they speak to you in ways that maybe the artist didn't even intend. Mm -hmm. And 
I've had the same experience where I've had songs evolve in, in, in what they mean to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of my, like I said, my emo phase, uh, just looking at the lyrics of some of these songs that are really speaking to me right now, they meant nothing lyrically to me six months ago or a mm-hmm. year ago. Or they meant something completely different. And, you know, I, I guess... I wanted to lead that into a question. I don't really know what that question is other than, you know, do you, I've heard, I've heard people say things about works of art that once they leave the artist's hands or or they put them out into the world, it doesn't matter what was intended by them. What's mattered is what it means to the people who are consuming that art. Mm -hmm. And I guess my question is, if, if there is a question is, is, is that the sense you get that, that it is different for everybody. Everybody might experience the same song differently. I think that's definitely true. Yes, and I would say that's true for all works of art, sure. right? Sure. Poetry, visual art, uh, dance. Um, oh, I think that's a great thing to have a conversation about. Um, how much does it matter what the artist intended? Right. And, or does it only matter how the receiver perceives it? And it it just makes me think of the current political climate because how many times have you know uh, some some politician used a song at a rally huh. and the artist is like oh hell no yeah and like born in the USA gets uh, right yeah. over and, over. <laughs> right? <laughs> and like yeah I mean I have very mixed feelings about it because it happens to the songs that I like and that were clearly written for different reasons. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have an answer. That was just a comment. Well, and, and the thing that's interesting to me is a piece of art that lasts for hundreds of years or t- decades or whatever. I can see tomorrow if you know you if if our podcast was completely interpreted differently than our intent, then it would be like, oh, that's ouch, that's personal. But mm-hmm. if the same podcast, this is a bad example. Podcast, this is a great example. But, this but, is definitely happening. But when people are listening to ours 300 years from now, does it matter what the <laughs> fuck they're interpreting, right? It, it's like the artists are gone. The world has evolved in such a way that it can't even apply to the same world that, that, that you're living in. So, uh, What if our podcast is the only thing that an alien race has to learn about humans? I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, Okay, so then as far as the different, like, do you feel in your work that there are different types of of music that that apply to different situations when you're working with your patients? Is it patients? Is that the right word? Sure. Patients, clients. Um, Definitely there are different kinds of music to use different times. as music therapists, we definitely take into consideration patient preference. Okay. Um, we definitely don't, I can't think of a time ever, well, very few times that I would want to use music that my client did not enjoy. Okay. Um, there are definitely times when I use music that I don't enjoy. Okay. Uh, but my clients do, and that's fine. How um, many times have you used the Insane Clown Posse in a the therapeutic setting? Not enough. I don't think <laughs> ever, Dan. But maybe if I had a different clientele. You know, with the young kids and the older adults, it might not be, um, might not provide the outcome that I'm looking for. Yeah, it's the not time yet. Posse. It's not time yet. Yeah. Yeah. But Halloween's coming, maybe it'd be appropriate. <laughs> 
So you don't go to the gathering of the Juggalos, is what I'm getting. Uh, you're not recruiting from, from there. I'm not. Okay. I'm not. All right. Maybe you should get a booth there. I'll look right. into that. All right. All right. Can we stop? <laughs> uh, I, I think I think we can stop the the insane clown posse talk for now. Um, but so so what kind of a, what what is the educational path to becoming a, a music therapist? So most music therapists in the United States have either a bachelor's degree or mm-hmm. what we call an equivalency degree in music therapy. A lot of music therapists start maybe as performers and then learn about music therapy. And so they already have a degree in music. So they just need the the therapy part. Mm-hmm. So there's something called an equivalency and you can get that. Um, and then um, a minimum of six months doing a clinical internship. Yeah. Um, and then uh, a board certification exam. And many music therapists these days have master's degrees or even doctorates okay. in music therapy. Okay. And, and where do you practice out of? Uh, my practice is in Mount Prospect, Illinois. Okay. Is I, I mean, is it, it's like any other like therapist's office or? Yep, we have a clinic space. Okay. Uh, there are four of us that work there. And uh, we also contract with a lot of organizations in the area. So we'll go into schools, nursing homes, okay. uh, day programs, things like that, and provide music therapy for their clients too. Okay. And, and this is, this is going to be probably a really dumb question. But, no dumb questions. But does that mean you have to have some sort of proficiency in, in performing, like singing or guitar or, or instruments? Yep. Okay. Every music therapist will have some um, instrument that was their instrument that they're um, trained on and that they're classically trained on. So I studied clarinet. Um, just like other music therapists, I did lots of performing. Just like other music ma- majors, I did lots of performing when I was in college, um, gave my recitals, um, really learned to be um, a music a musician okay. through that. Um, okay. I almost never play clarinet now. Mm-hmm. It isn't very um, useful in my therapy work, mm-hmm. um, but definitely was useful in making me a musician. Okay. So what... If a person is, is is considering, who do you think benefits from music therapy? That's a great question. Um, like I said earlier, so many music therapists work with a wide variety of po- populations. Mm-hmm. I think, I know there are music therapists right here in Chicago who are working with people who are dealing with, um, with adults who are dealing with depression and anxiety and Um, Maybe they love music or maybe traditional talk therapy just really isn't comfortable for them or just isn't going where they want it to go. Um, So maybe a music therapist would be a good choice for them. Um, There are a lot of parents of children, um, of autistic children, who are looking to help their kids learn to communicate better, learn to be more um, emotionally regulated um, because of the different areas of the brain that music uh, connects with. Music is great for teaching communication. So a lot of um, children um, with special needs, especially uh, on the autism spectrum, are finding that music therapy is helpful to them. Um, Older adults who have dementia and really aren't connecting with their families well or are very agitated, um, they can really benefit from music therapy. We see a big difference in um, their mood and in their social connection with music. 
um, oh, uh, people who have experienced um, strokes okay. and are not walking well um, really benefit from music therapy um, in learning to walk again or learning other physical movements. Um, they're using the rhythm of the music to help them relearn the rhythm of walking. That's um, cool. I, I was, you answered my question. I was like, why? Yeah. <laughs> there's amazing research in that area. Um, if you get online you can, on YouTube, you can see some really cool videos of patients walking before mm. the music is added and then with music, and you'll see such a difference, wow. both stroke patients and Parkinson's patients. That's fascinating. We I think we're going to have to post some of those videos. For sure. Yeah, I'll send you a few. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yes. Um, So just like a speech therapist might specialize in working with somebody who's had a stroke or might specialize with working with um, young kids who have speech delays or might specialize in working with um, uh, older adults who are having trouble swallowing, music therapists also have their little niche usually of clients that they are... Uh, most experienced of working with. Okay. And this is all super fascinating and I can't even begin to process kind of how this works. And I, and I hope this, I'm going to say, I hope it's not insulting. I don't think this is an insulting question at all, no. but, but I'm going to ask. I have asked her lots of insulting questions <laughs> and we still talk. So but, we're good. Well, good. I, and again, I, I don't think that there's any way that this is insulting, but I'm just throwing that out there that I'm, I'm asking because I don't understand how this works. And you clearly need an education to do this. So there's a, a large body of knowledge out there. But is this more science or art? That's such a good question. Not a dumb question at all. I think it's a beautiful intersection of science and art. And there is really great music therapy research coming out. And music therapists um, are working hard right now to um, have a better evidence base of our work. And so I think we're really seeing more and more come out about the science behind it. Um, We have to be artists to do our work. Mm -hmm. And um, luckily, there are those among us who are real scientists also and are publishing that science. And all of us are trained to read and interpret that science and um, uh, use it for our work. Okay. So how has it changed since you started? That's a great question. Um, how has it changed? It's become much more evidence-based. How long have you been at it now? So I graduated and finished my board certification and internship in 1998. Um, wow. So that was a long time ago. But also I worked for about five years, and then I let my certification lapse, and I was a stay-at-home mom for a long time. And so I've been back at it again for about five years okay. now. So when you say it's more evidence-based, mm-hmm. can, can you elaborate on that a little bit? So there's a lot more research coming out mm-hmm. about it. Um, we have a lot more research um, in that neurologic area, working mm-hmm. with patients with stroke and gait training, Parkinson's, in that kind of area. We have a lot more research Um, with autistic people and people with other um, neurological differences. We have a lot more research with babies in the NICU and how using music and rhythm can help them with their development. Uh, And we're seeing um, 
Oh, and also in mental health and how music therapy can be beneficial in those areas. And we're seeing that research come out, not in just our own music therapy journals, but in other um, mental health, psychology, medical journals also. I think it's becoming more recognized in the medical community and um, more people know about it. Cool. Most major medical hospitals now in the United States have music therapists oh, really? on staff, uh, which is helping a lot, too, I think. Do schools? Um, I don't think I can say yet that a lot of schools have them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my practice provides music therapy for four different school districts okay. in the Chicago area. And there are certainly other music therapists in the Chicago area working in schools, too. So... It's becoming more common because it's usually not required. It's hard for the school districts to come up with the money. For sure. And when you work in a school district, are you working with a lot of kids? Are there specific kids that you're working with? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or are there like big assemblies that you're doing? What are you doing with it? We are not doing big big assemblies. Um, In our case, we're usually going into the schools, pushing into the classrooms, um, the special ed classrooms, Mm -hmm. and working with small groups in the classrooms. Um, In our area, we don't usually see music therapy on the IEPs, the individual educational. um, (laughs) That was so loud. The individualized education plans. <laughs> Sorry. That's no problem. Um, in other areas of the country, is that music therapy is more often to be on an IEP, and then it's required for that child. And if, if it's on an IEP, that is um, like that's an individual educational plan. That's a plan for that specific kid in like a special yes. ed kind of need. Is that right? Um, sometimes any- special ed, sometimes not. Okay. Um, but it's just a legal document that says what the school is required to provide for that child. Got it. Um, and that IEP might say this child requires individual music therapy or it might be group music therapy. Okay. Cool. Do you think that it, it should be or needs to be in more schools? I think so. I'm an advocate. Of course. Um, yeah, I see a big difference. Um, there are kids who connect so well with music who don't connect with more traditional um, educational programs. And if we can use music and use music therapy to help them with their regulation, which means like being more calm and focused in school, what an easy and um, delightful way Mm -hmm. to help them have a better day at school and to help their teachers have a better day at school. If we can use music um, to help them learn their academic goals and they're not learning their academic goals with school, Mm -hmm. what an easy way to do that. Um, I think music therapy can make a big difference for a lot of kids in school. I mean, it seems like it would be a less intimidating way to engage with with children and it sounds i i mean it you you see my reaction when talking about music and i'm a semi well-developed uh human being and you know i can just i it i'm i'm so i'm sold <laughs> is what I, is what i'm saying are, are there groups out there that are trying to promote this and get this into more uh, schools and and 
Sure. So we have the American Music Therapy Association, which is our professional organization that's doing a lot of great work for promoting uh, music therapy. We have statewide organizations, area organizations in Illinois right now. The Illinois Music Therapy Association is working hard to get licensure for music therapists in Illinois, and that's an important next step for us. So I'm going to ask you a couple of music questions that are probably less related to therapy, but I'm hoping that your 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 knowledge in music and the science of music and other things are more vast than mine or producer Dan's over here. This is going to be the trivia portion of the podcast. <laughs> oh no! No no no. Um, why? When uh, I shouldn't say why. I should say, do you know why? Is there science behind why? When people get past their formative years, they're not as accepting of new music. When we work with adults who have dementia, we usually try to look for, try, we first try the music from when they were teens and mm -hmm. in their early 20s. That's usually what grabs somebody. Mm -hmm. um, that is accepted knowledge. Why is that? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think we all tend to become a little less open to other things. Um, maybe that's the music when we were having the most fun. I don't know. Or certainly when it could be a priority. Like, yeah. I, not only do I not have a ton of time to go out and find new music, like, I kind of don't want to. I kind of know a bunch of music I like to listen to. Yep. And I'm not super interested in learning an awful lot more. And I do sometimes, but not a ton. I, I, I'm going to throw out a... a I don't, I'm not going to call it an opinion, and it's something that I'd never thought of until right this second. Well, no, I have. Um, and I'm going to tell you something that you might find odd, especially, <laughs> especially considering what you do and my reaction to music just talking about it is I tell people that like between 2001, when I graduated college, and 2016, I didn't listen to music. Hmm. I... If I was in my car, I had on either NPR or sports radio. I didn't care about music. I went to maybe a few concerts during those 15 years. And in 2016, I found emotion. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to tell you in a very... I, I kind of find it si silly that... I feel like in my life I found emotion when the Cubs won the World Series. <laughs> I, and I mean it. I mean it. I felt like suddenly that I moved on from something that I'd been waiting out for, mm. for you know, my entire life. From the time I was five, people knew. I mean, like, I was this little fucking kid who was obsessed with nine innings of baseball. No other five-year-old kid watches nine innings of baseball. But that was all I wanted to do. And... I found that unrelated to the Cubs and sports, that I was very good. I'll, I'll do air quotes and say good <laughs> at managing my emotions, where mm -hmm. I had like, I'd let myself get up to here and I'll let myself get down to here. And it'd be between these two. I'm holding up my hands, listeners. It'd be between <laughs> these two. And I, I make a stupid joke sometimes and say, you know, at, at the top, is when I saw a dog, like I saw a puppy. I didn't even touch it. It was across the street, but that's about how happy I'd let myself get. And on the bottom, 
I would let myself get to like, oh, I, I dropped a glass and broke it, and that, I liked that glass. And, and I tried to manage and live between those two extremes. Extremes is the wrong word. <laughs> those, those very mild extremes. Right. And it protected me mm-hmm. a lot. But you spend a lot of the time avoiding the good stuff to prevent like the bad feelings. Mm-hmm. You avoid the highs to avoid the lows. Mm-hmm. And taking my dad to a World Series game, the first one in Wrigley Field in his lifetime, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that I dreamed of him <laughs> doing for me as a kid... I can't explain what that means to me. Pretty big high. It's a fucking high, man. And they lost that game, and I don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, my dad's, I I get my managing emotions from my dad. And Mm -hmm. on the bus on the way home, away from Wrigley, he said, <laughs> he said, I never thought I'd see it. Yeah. He's like, I never thought I'd be there. That's pretty cool. And my dad, I mean, maybe that's not a very emotional thing to say. I don't know. But from him, it is. And I swear to God, in November of that month, the same month they won, the same month there was a rather um, unfortunate election, also. <laughs> My wife recommended three bands to me. They were Sean James, The Hooten Hollers, and Left Lane Cruiser, and I fucking loved them. And when I looked all three of these bands up, and I was just like, well, let me see if they're playing Chicago. They were actually all playing a festival, the same fucking festival, like four months later. And, you know, Google Play Music, I think is what I was using. Um, They'll send us a check for putting their name in here just took me on this journey where I just, every day, I, I mean, there were days when I'd listen to 30 bands mm-hmm. that I'd never heard before. I'd go and say, okay, who, who's played with who? Okay, well, this one played with... And I just started finding shit. And, you know, this year, I tell people, it's like the worst year of my life, and I'm the happiest I've ever been. And suddenly, I'm branching out, like, in the types of music where I like almost everything now. Mm-hmm. And Scott did try to get me to listen to some K-pop. Tried to? You did you listen, listen to it? I think I listened to it. That, I think that's one of the ones I listened to about 10 seconds. I was like, <laughs> thanks, right. thanks, I'm getting back to work. All right. Uh, do you have any reggaeton in your... In your uh, no. Le- uh, yeah, okay. All right, we'll get there. I'll, I'll, I'll bring, I, can't, I can't wait. I'll bring you along gently. <laughs> um, but as soon as I started opening to motion... I started enjoying music mm-hmm. and not enjoying it like an old guy where, you know, I could listen to 90s grunge and be happy because that's what I listened to growing up. But where, like, what I look for in a day is to find something new. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in this weird phase of, like, fuck the man, burn it all down, like protest music that I listen to every day. Um but I also listened to K-pop and reggaeton, and <laughs> all the in genres that I didn't even know existed. 
I don't know this if this is true for you, but I feel like when I'm at my most emotional, I can't handle the music at all. It's it's too powerful, and um, unless I really unless it's the moment that I want to feel it all and get past it, really. But when I'm most emotional, it's just too much sometimes. So I I can I can agree or not agree, but I can understand. I can relate. But also, I've been leaning in hard to emotion. Yeah, but it sounds like you're at a place where you want to feel it. And yeah. it sounds like before, you were working on mm-hmm. keeping it in that space that you were talking about. Yeah. Do you think that's true? Oh, without a doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. I, I want to feel it. I want even... And even, like, right now, the bad. Like, I told... I think, Dan, in one of the episodes, I used the the phrase like optimistically lonely it's like mm. you know the loneliness that i feel right now is like this loneliness that i know something good is out there where before my loneliness was like this mm-hmm. emptiness yeah so even That's feeling difference even feeling lonely doesn't feel bad sounds like you feel a little more uh free and lonely yeah and before you were kind of trapped in lonely i'd, I'd say that's exactly it mm. and but I will also say that another thing Dan and I have talked about, like when I started therapy, is that I told my therapist that there was a lot of things that I wasn't doing, the things that would make me happy I wasn't doing. And mm-hmm. I did go through pretty much from the start of the pandemic until March of this year. You know, I, I started my musical journey in November 2016, and it went up until the start of the pandemic. And then at the start of the pandemic, I stopped listening to music, period. Mm-hmm. Until I started therapy, which was the beginning of the second year of the pandemic, March of of this year. And, you know, he asked me why. And I, inertia, I guess, was what I said, I think, at the time. Like, you know, it's easy to not do something. And I made some very fucking small changes that have just changed the course of my life. And, you know, Dan knows about me talking about coffee <laughs> coffee was one of the things that I wasn't even doing it's when I feel bad I don't make myself a cup of coffee even though coffee is something that's going to make me feel a little bit better and uh, music makes me feel a little bit better but nope too much energy too much uh, too mm-hmm. much something so mm-hmm. I was really for the first year of the pandemic I was working and getting off of work and Sitting on my couch reading the internet until I went to sleep. Mm-hmm. That wasn't good for me, especially given what was on the internet. <laughs> right? That's very interesting. Because I think usually if I feel down, I want to listen to music because it finds me a way uh, to connect with other people that have felt the same way. Um. Is there a type of music? I mean, is it? Do you like when you're down? Is it sad music, or is it music to bring you back up, or is it just music you like? Um, you know, music I like, but usually music that like is about the feeling that I'm having. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I could tell you, after Trump's election, I listened to a lot more Rage Against the Machine than I had since I was in high school. 
um, and a lot more uh, Public Enemy. Um, so songs about anger, about big systemic systems. I'll just do a lot more about that. I've got some to send you later. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah. And I mean, my romantic life has been pretty stable and good for the last 18 years. So I don't listen to many breakup songs anymore. <laughs> but yeah, that those were also high on my list prior to that. So I think I, I, for me, yeah, it's about connecting with others that have already written songs about the way that I feel right now, I think. So can music be bad in that sense? I mean, if you're angry about the political climate and listening to Rage Against the Machine, is that healthy? Depends on what you do with it. Well, I think he was asking the therapist. So. Yeah, yeah, I was. I don't know <laughs> if there's one answer to that. Like, I think you're right. Depends on what you do with it. Depends on how that affects you. Is it going to make you feel connected to somebody and feel like not alone in your feelings or is it just going to make you more angry and go out and do something destructive and like it could be doing both of those things mm -hmm. like there are neo-nazi bands that like yeah. help neo-nazis feel connected and then help them get mad at jewish people too right. and well, well we, yeah. for we forgot one rule we don't concede points to dan so <laughs> <laughs> it makes him try harder when you don't give him that you know Good rule. <laughs> Lauren's very familiar with that rule. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, I forgot what I was going to ask next. It, it, it was all along the same vein. Um, but I guess I'll ask you, Dan. When you say it depends what you do with that, did, did, does it help? Did it help? Did listening to music help me feel better? Well, like, you, you gave a specific example about... The election and then rage oh, yeah. against the machine. Totally. Totally. It yeah. helped. It helped. Um, it helped. It helped me not feel isolated and alone. Mm -hmm. It helped me um, get energy to do something about it. Um, and that energy used to go into angry Facebook posts. <laughs> and I no longer effective, do that. Though. Effective. Sometimes, but I... I stay off of social media now because I don't think that it makes my life better uh, for the most part. But if uh, you found our podcast through all of our paid Facebook advertising, <laughs> please stay on Facebook and keep finding our podcast. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say this, Dan, that, you know, we've, we've talked about where I come from, a small conservative town, and I do credit you with helping shape some of my views. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I do credit, and you say angry Facebook posting, but I remember Facebook posts of yours that were shares of, of, of positive things, we'll call them. Sure. Or maybe not positive, but... Depends on how much you hate gays, I think. <laughs> and I'm not going to disagree with that. I mean... You know, I am... For the record, I don't think anybody should hate gays. Right. And that's what I mean. It, it's like, I, I've never in my life considered myself someone who hates... I mean, okay, we, you talk about Nazis. I hate Nazis. Um, but generally speaking, you know, I don't hate people. 
I use the word hate a lot, but just because I get annoyed with people. But I don't hate, I never hated gays, but I was certainly not as open. I, I, I would have, if you asked me if I was homophobic, I'd have said no, but I'd also be like, I don't want to see him kissing. Which I think is the definition right. of being homophobic. <laughs> Pretty solidly homophobic. But I feel like, but I also feel like that's like the small town bigotry where right. where you feel like if you're not using certain words that you're not homophobic or racist. And I have over the course of my adulthood learned and learned and learned. And I I, I swear to you, Dan, you there are, are Facebook posts of yours that completely changed my my thoughts on on topics for the better. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad that my anger posts were not all in vain. I don't think they were anger posts. Some of them, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they were. <laughs> <laughs> so my my only point is that Facebook is 98 percent terrible and two percent. Well, you know, I don't what? I don't even think it's terrible. I'm I'm. I'm I'm good with it. If that's what you want to do, I'm good with it. I wish our parents' generation spent less time on Facebook. I wish they understood <laughs> how internet advertising worked and and mm-hmm. how people make money off the internet. And I have also learned that the angrier you are, the more you make other people money while you're on the internet. Um, and those aren't things that I care to participate in right now. Mm. I don't want someone else enjoying the financial gains of my like anger and misery. Mm-hmm. And those that those are the big reasons why I'm no longer spending much time on Facebook. You know, I get it. My life's just better without it. Yeah. I have an account still only because I follow bands. That's how I see mm-hmm. the shows that I'm going to go to. And I'm sure I could probably do that on Instagram, but isn't Instagram just part of Facebook? Mhm. So now, Laura, you've got kids of all ages. Yes. Quite a range. Four of them, right? Four of them. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like more. Ages 10 to 19. Um, yeah. How, uh, how, how do you feel about the internet and your children? These are all things I'm going to have to deal with real soon. <laughs> I feel that it's overwhelming and re- very hard to control. Yeah. Um, and I also have a wide range of desires in my children to be on the internet. Um, one that has no desire for social media at all. One that posts way too much on yeah. social media. Um, one addicted to YouTube. Uh, it's hard. It's really hard to um, limit it and... The kids, that's how they connect. Totally. That's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what the most recent... If you're 10 and a boy at, in fourth grade and you don't know what's happening on Minecraft on YouTube, <laughs> you're out of the loop. <laughs> do, do, and that's hard. Well, at what age do you get phones these days? Um, my kids all got phones when they went to middle school. Okay. And being, so sixth grade. Okay. I was going to say, being from a tiny town, I don't know these words... I mean, I know the words. I don't. It's sixth grade. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. How? Okay. How do you manage? Like, this is a real parenting question. That it, like, parenting podcast. I, yes, uh, I'm happy to you not talking about specifics in your life, um, but like, 
how do you manage adult websites? Like, if I had a phone when I was 12, like, I found a porn mag in, like... (laughs) With the cover ripped off behind a bookstore. Oh, God. And <laughs> I remember, like, I, found, I found a box. There, there was an auction behind, in a, never mind. <laughs> but, like, the, we, we just looked at that magazine, and you would, like, do a swap and trade a magazine, and, like, that was, you know, you had 32 pages tops. I don't know what the answer is to that. Um We try to talk about that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm sure there is stuff my kids are doing that I do not know about. Which and really is a gift to you, I think. <laughs> probably. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I think there was always stuff that your parents didn't know about, of right? Course. But there's so much more access now. Um, so we try to talk in our house about um, how porn is readily available and what do we think is good about it and why is it not good maybe when you're 13 and what kind of things are you going to learn from porn and what kind of thing and are those good things that you want to learn from porn and are those realistic things or are those maybe not so realistic things that you're going to learn? I'm hoping... That conversation is the key. Um, I think you're probably right. I because you can't not. I don't you, have you can't the just answer, be like Sam. no. Don't look at that. No. Like, yeah. I just want to make a bunch of jokes right now, so I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't say don't look at it because no. of course they're gonna. Right. It's I. That is one thing I've learned. As soon as I say no. <laughs> right. That that. It is definitely happening. Like, and the only other like, if you thought it was cool. Like, that might stop them, but then you're some weirdo <laughs> that's just telling your kids how cool porn is, and that's not going to go over well in the right. mom groups. Right. right. Usually, what I my current um, response to things I don't like is, uh, I'd like to share some of my feelings about that. <laughs> can I ask, can, I, I want to bring this back to music, though. Sure. Um, well, it very, very, very much related to this conversation is, you know, I, I remember in my lifetime, uh, two incidents where my dad didn't appreciate what I was listening to. Mm. Uh, the first was a Naughty by Nature cassette. Uh, he walked into my room, and I'm probably 10, 11 years old. Uh, OPP was out. Maybe I'm a little older. I can't remember. It's a banger. <laughs> it sure is. Still is. It is. And I just saw his face when he said, did they just say fuck? Like, it, this was news to my dad at that moment that they said fuck in music. And then... A year or two later, my first CD I ever got, uh, I, I knew better and I had it hidden and let my sister borrow it. Fucking sisters. The older sisters always getting you in trouble. Always. They're um, the worst. But she left it out and it was uh, a, a, a small um, album by Snoop Doggy Dog called Doggy Style. Uh, and my dad... Also a banger. <laughs> and my dad saw it and of course my sister denied the hell out of it. And I told her when she borrowed it, I'm like, if anyone finds this it's yours. And she's like, I don't know whose it is. I don't know whose it is. And I'm the fucking kid who never lied to my parents. So finally I'm like, it's mine. And my dad cracked it in half. Oh, um, uh, like, that's what CDs are like 18 bucks, it was man. My, and it was my first CD ever. Mm. I had it hidden uh, uh, behind my my dresser where I also had uh, a Jenny McCarthy softcore porn thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> they never found that one. Uh, they're going to learn about it on this podcast. And uh, so I guess my question is, like, censor- censorship in music and, and like, do you have boundaries that you don't let your kids listen to, to music? Or, or do you feel like it's all an artistic expression and not real life or what? Um, I'm not very worried about bad words okay. in music. Um, I'll tell you a funny story quickly. <laughs> when my youngest was, I don't know, like five, four, uh, he was with grandma and they were working on a, a like a crossword puzzle. Our parents or? Uh, the other parents. Got it. The other grandparents. Uh, working on a crossword puzzle that had like... Um, Nursery rhymes, uh-huh. like uh, Little Miss Muffet and the old woman, uh, the Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater and that kind of thing. Okay. And my little guy didn't know any of them, none of them. And grandma was like, he doesn't know them. And I was like, but he knows all the words to Hamilton. And he did, including the F words in Hamilton. And uh, that's just from being the fourth child. The right. first child definitely knew the nursery <laughs> rhymes. Right. Um, but the fourth one, just like whatever the other kids like, it just slides like right down, funnels right into them. Right. right. Because I'm not going to tell my older kids. Well, sometimes I tell them you can't listen to that because the little guy's there. Or uh-huh. I did in the past. Um, but it's real hard not to. Um, so I'm not really worried about that. And even when things come up in media on TV shows or in music um, that I don't think are the most in, in, uh, appropriate, mm-hmm. I'd rather talk about them yeah. than just say no. Right. If I say no, just like we said before, then they really want yeah. it. Well, and it's Let's really, have a conversation about it. It's really hard to crack a Spotify album in half, too. <laughs> yes. It's true. <laughs> yes. And when I'm working, I don't work with teenagers much right now, um, but some of my team members do. And as music therapists, we don't want to censor music. We want to hear what you're listening to and mm-hmm. why are you listening to and what do you like about that and um, why? how does that make you feel? Sometimes we have to uh, follow school rules, which is hard for Ooh, us yeah. as music therapists sometimes. Okay. Sometimes we got to come to an agreement with the teachers about what's allowed and what's not. Interesting. Is that difficult? I mean, um, I haven't been in that situation a lot myself, but I know a lot of music therapists who do struggle with that. Mm-hmm. As therapists, they want to hear what the kids are listening to and talk about it. And teachers have much stricter rules about what's appropriate for school. So, is there any music you just hate? <laughs> um. It's a strong word, but there's a lot of music that I'm not very appreciative of. <laughs> okay, <laughs> may I can recognize that they are someone's form of self-expression, but they're not something that make me feel good inside. Can you explain mumble rap to me? No, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I've heard the words. I don't know if it's an actual thing or, or if that's just old white people complaining about rap. <laughs> and I'm an old white person. Right, at this that point. could go either way. Right, right, right. Dan took me to a concert once. Yeah, we went saw Sister Machine <laughs> Sister Gun. Sister Machine Gun. I'm not familiar. That wasn't my favorite. It's a good time. What, what kind of music is that? Uh, that is a Chicago industrial band from uh, the okay. late 90s. All right. 
I, Dan, you've told me a story about your first beer at a concert before. Is that known throughout the family? Uh, yeah, I think so now. Is that when you went with mom's employee? <laughs> yes, to, to see Pink Floyd. Uh-huh. Oh, this poor lady. My, we, me and my friend, we were, we were freshmen in high school, and um, they wanted to... We, we, we got tickets to see Pink Floyd, and I don't think we asked. I think we just went and bought tickets. <laughs> okay. And I, Did you have like, to go to, like, Sears and buy them at the Totally, okay. totally. <laughs> yeah, we, like, had a friend, like, drive us uh, who had a, a, a car. Those friends were awesome. Okay. Uh, so we, we, got, we got tickets to see Pink Floyd, and my mom was worried about us going to the city alone, and one of her coworkers, um, like, my mom was her boss, and... <laughs> She was like the cool, cute lady at the office. Okay, she's probably in her twenties. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And like, oh god, a twenty. Okay. She was like in her late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, but, but she's in her twenties ish. Yeah, they didn't have any kids. Yeah, and like her boss is like, hey, do you mind if my kid goes with you to see Pink Floyd? Like that had to be the worst question right. ever. And so, like, God bless her. Her and her husband are like, okay, cool, sure, no problem. And we get dropped off at their house. I was like in the western suburbs or something, okay. and. They take us, like, we get in the car, and we're three minutes from their house. And they turn around, and they're like, all right, listen, you guys. Tonight, anything goes. We just asked, don't, like, be a mess when the show is over and <laughs> you see your parents again. Because you're going to see us do stuff I don't want your mom to know about. <laughs> and if you want to do stuff you don't want your mom to know about, too, that's cool. And they were very nice. That's where I had my first beer. Also where I... <laughs> definitely knew someone next to me was smoking marijuana. Okay. Those are the things that I learned at the Pink right. Floyd show. And I'm sorry, did you say how old you were? I was 14. You're 14. 14. Okay, wow. And did you ever, I mean, do you, did you know these people beyond like that one night? Did nope. you see them? Never okay. saw them again. All right. Do you ever think about looking them up? Not you, till right now. We should see if we can get them should. on the show. I, 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 I'm an advocate of that. I, I would say if you can find these people and thank them for the path they sent you on. I wonder if she still works for the Girl Scouts. <laughs> she may. Oh, I, I, I want to make this happen. Mm-hmm. I want to reunite. Oh, look it up. All right. Was that your first concert too? Eh, no, but my my first concert when I was like 14. My first big show. Yeah, I mean it was it was it was up there. Pink Floyd's kind of a big show. Pink Floyd's a big show. Yeah. What was your first concert? New Kids on the Block. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. All right. I, I think I was four, 13 or 14. All right. Did, I think that might did have been mom my take you? Uh, no, my friend's dad did. Nice. Mm-hmm. So, in 1994 for Valentine's Day, February of 1994. I'm 15. Don't have my license yet. I took a girl to the Peoria Civic Center. Ooh, I've been there. To see Boys to Men. Nice. <laughs> my, my sister's boyfriend uh, got tickets, too. And if I remember correctly, uh, his parents drove all four of us. Awesome. So I, I think that that might have been the most um, romantic 15-year-old move in the history of dating. Boys to Men. Mm-hmm. Now, that that was a whirlwind three month relationship. Let me tell you. <laughs> I also uh, got dumped by a note uh, like later, and I remembered that when I we listened to the last episode of the podcast and we talked about dumping people via note in high school. Yeah, those are tough notes so, to get, man. Anyway, well, 
We, we are out of time. It's been a pleasure. I've learned so much today. Uh, I also, Absolutely. I have too. Yeah. And I talk to you all the time. Yeah, I asked all the questions Dan never thinks to ask because he's inconsiderate. Um, <laughs> but I'm feeling the good vibes. I, 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 I thought this was wonderful. Thank you so much for being on. Yeah, we really appreciate oh, my it. My pleasure. It was really fun. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Of course. Uh, I like hanging out with you guys. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of nice to hang out and, like, this is a pretty quiet setting for you and I to yes. be together. <laughs> Uh, we like to end it by saying that this has been absolutely, positively terrible. I met you back at Fest. I confess I was nervous and stressed because I thought you were the best. I was right. And that night we got into a water fight that I won. I shot you in the face. It was fate. I offered you a spring. You declined. I said, keep it